Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you, Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Meskel and Andrew Scott, Suncoast, starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney, and Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. So head over to Hulu if you like movies, because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at theringer.com. And joining me on the other line, the new CEO of Netflix, it's Andy Greenwald. Thank you. I wanted to break the news on today's podcast, but you know, I got scooped again. It's funny because like I've always been a Ted guy. I've been always been a big I'm team Ted, you've been team Reed, but now Reed stepping aside. So that's like I guess where we could start, Andy. It's gonna be a little bit of a grab bag episode. People can go back and listen to our Last of Us pod on Monday. It was a little bit more of a deep dive into the the televisual arts. With, by the way, some audio issues on my end, which I want to apologize for. I'd like to just debase myself in front. I'm going to apologize a lot this episode. People apologize. love that. That's good I for our ratings. Should, why don't you say sorry? I'm sorry. I'm sorry okay. to Kaya, <laughs> who produces so beautifully. And I gave her, I gave her a terrible audio file. You so did, I, I, sorry to our listeners. I thought it sounded okay. You know, but you but only I, listen uh, to your feed. <laughs> That's true. I only fire. You kind of vibe out during the three minute silences. It's cool. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Andy, a couple of things. Headlines. Mm -hmm. We've got some Netflix news. All right. We've got some Star Wars news. Yeah. I have uh, some reporting that I did that I want to share with you about the last of us. I'm really excited about this. Kind of. And then we're going to get into two shows we watched: uh, the reboot of Night Court, which Uh is the most popular thing in America, apparently. And yep. a show on Netflix that we're going to hit uh, a little later in the episode. So let's start at the top. Look, I I know that we people usually think that our economic savvy is really what what drives this show, that our ability to read the markets and our ability to understand the goings and comings in, mm-hmm. in corporate America. So mm-hmm. what was your first thought when I texted you and said, read out? Because Reed Hastings, the longtime CEO of Netflix, is stepping aside 
but also like he's positioning it as like much like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates before me, I am going to be like chairman, but yeah. like this dude, Greg Peters is going to step up and co-CEO with Ted Sarandos. The great ship Netflix sails forward, much like the one, the boat in 1899. Um, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? Like, is there literally any ramification from this news that affects us, the TV, just Joe TV watcher? First of all, I think all of our listeners should know if they don't already know that when you get a text from Chris Ryan with the word read in it, I'm immediately like, oh my God, he's watching WandaVision again and he's figured out a way to talk about how Reed Richards should have debuted in that series. Actually, it's not true. It's because I'm watching YouTube videos of Ed Reed giving (laughs) halftime speeches. (laughs) I think Ed Reed is a better choice for Reed Richards than Adam Driver. Just to... Just to really throw a spicy take in the discourse. Is Adam Driver this, right? in play for Reed Richards? I don't think he's in play, but that was the that that was what was bubbling up from the underculture the other day. They're like, that's who Marvel wants. They want driver. When you say, when you say underculture, do you mean Facebook and a and a story that you got served to you on Facebook? I don't need to answer all the questions you asked me on this podcast. This isn't a free flowing exchange of ideas. Um yeah, so you sent me this and I was surprised. I immediately poured through the the reporting to see if it was if there was any direct correlation to his leaving and the Bella Bajaria feature from the New Yorker that we talked about last week that featured Reed Hastings phoning in from his estate in Montecito. Again, hashtag pray for Montecito. <laughs> I, I, there was no connection. I was looking for news here, and it didn't seem like there was any. It, right. I, it does seem like this was a planned succession. It does seem like this is part of what. I guess other people have known is like kind of a the company culture of you get your gold watch and your 10,000 shares and a handshake at a certain point, maybe sooner than you would at other companies. Um, and that this applies to him himself. So in terms of things moving forward, they promoted from within, including the aforementioned Bella Bajaria is now the chief content officer alone. The CEO was the COO. So I, I, I was... Smarter people, smarter sharps than than us might be able to find something here. What, what The only takeaway I have is that Netflix, when it went from being the red envelope company to being a content company here, quote unquote, in town, there were faces that got to know everyone, that pressed the flesh, that went around, right? And it was Cindy Holland, who was the former head of, of content. It was Ted Sarandos, who's, who's still there, right, in a, in a more senior role. And mm-hmm. I would imagine it was Reed Hastings, too, who has been with the company. You know, he is the company. So I think that that was some connective tissue from the more personable, industry-friendly version of Netflix that some people still mourn or pine for. So in a sense, you're turning a page on that. But I can't really parse anything more profound than that. I mean, they've been pretty clear about what their strategy is. And that New Yorker article probably was more relevant to people's, to Joe Popcorn's TV experience than this news today, at least as far as I know. And maybe we'll see. You mentioned that uh, New Yorker article that we spent so much time talking about, Rachel Simon, mm-hmm. for about Bella Bajaria. Bella Bajaria, I guess a winner in this because she is yes. promoted to chief content officer. Uh, she was the global head of TV and now she is chief content officer. Scott Stuber gets promoted to chairman of Netflix film. If you're the chief content officer and you're Bella Bajaria and you are the person... That's Sean Fennessy's title, right? It is Sean Fennessy's So they're basically title. the same. Okay, I just wanted to help understand it. Yeah. Would Sean rather be chairman of film? Arguably. Sean's never been a content guy. He loves cinema. That's different. <laughs> well, that's my point. It's just that if you read that Bella Bajaria article and uh, to the extent to which you can glean an ideology, a creative ideology from it, 
it's interesting to think that she would be the chief content officer of Netflix because theoretically more decisions like the ones that she has been making will be made, right? Yeah, but I think that is that's that is their strategy. That is yeah. their content, right? You know, it, the, I think yeah, there is no more, internal war that's been won or something like that. No, I think it it the the war was won when she was promoted and Cindy Holland left the company in terms of what sort of things they wanted to buy and what the plan was going forward. And if they've just been, as far as I can tell, they've just been working that out ever since for with some some hits and some certainly some critical misses. But you know, like you said, the great ship goes on. The great ship goes on. You know what else goes on? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying I, to guess your rundown here because I feel like there's something big that we're not talking about. But okay, tell me what's next on your... There's something big in the world of culture that we're not talking about? Something that we are doing, the two of us. <laughs> we're not talking about that yet. We're not talking about it yet? Okay. No, you have a homework assignment. I have, I, I got to tell you, should we talk about it? Do you want to talk about I, it? Yes, yes. I finished. Have you finished? No. Okay. You, we can't tease this too much because if you don't follow through, it's not going to work. I'm going to follow through. This is, can I just say it? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know why, but why do you want to say it? Why don't you want to just surprise people? This is surprising people. They listen to our podcast. On Monday, we're going to be like, Last of Us, episode two, what does it mean? Can we all get the mushroom sickness? We're going to do some like aggregations, some SEO uh-huh. stuff. Like that's what we're going to be doing Monday. Today's our day. Uh-huh. You know the thing where it's like one for them, one for me? You know, like like the, the, the bands? Like this is our... Record. This is our okay. indie record. Okay. Thursdays. Guys, we watched Chernobyl. Well, Chris finished it. I'm, I haven't yet. You've watched two episodes, right? Yeah, but I already want to say something. And luckily, I have a podcast. I just want to say that it's exciting to know that there is a new all time L for me. And for this podcast out in the world, and I want to own it. You know, I was reading, for example, today about Eagles GM Howie Roseman, and like that the, the secret to his success is like you got to own the mistake early and uh-huh. minimize it. I wouldn't say we are owning this mistake early at all. The HBO miniseries Chernobyl premiered what three years ago? I believe 2019. Oh, for, oh, oh, that's I fun. think right. It was pre-pandemic. For, I, yeah. I, 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 look. So apparently, I just want to say all of you guys were right. Two episodes in, this is one of the best things I've ever seen on television. And I'm an idiot. That's yeah. what I wanted to say. I just needed to get that off my chest, you know? Because it feels good. It doesn't feel bad to admit our the plan, mistake. It feels our, great to love something. Yeah, I would say this. Number one, you're right. right. Absolute huge L on our part. I think we can go back and reconstruct our biographical reasons for not watching it at the time. I believe you were working on your show. I can't remember correctly. Like, com- also, we were obsessed with party security. You know, we wanted we, we wanted to toe the line. We got to get our story straight for this giant and meltdown on our on our behalf. I've had so many takeaways from the show, which is absolutely a masterpiece. I feel like an it, like a total asshole for not watching this sooner. And everybody was right. And I don't know why I fell asleep three times during the first episode. That's not really my style for anything, but it just what happened when I was watching it in 2019. Um. It has had like a huge impact on how I've viewed TV since then. Yes, now, yes. Which is like, I guess I have to go back and adjust a bunch of like my takes slightly yes. by 5%. It's made me f- so enthusiastic about watching the rest of Last of Us because Craig Mason, I guess, is a fucking genius. But, you know, we're going to probably get into it on a much more detail. We were hoping next Thursday to do yeah. a Chernobyl Megapod. 
Yeah, we will. We will. I just, I had, I couldn't, I couldn't sit on it anymore. You know what I mean? The reactor was going hot and you kept trying to run water to my cooling tubes. Of don't feed the streets, starve the streets and then, and then drop the brick, you know, like Bill never tells anybody how the, the rewatchables works. Yeah, but I, this is just a staggering turn of events. Not just that we watch the show, but I'm always the one who's like, Chris, don't tell people who our guest is. And you, you can't wait to tell people who our upcoming <laughs> guests are. You, you, you fucking love it. It just, it's, you just, you just get so jazzed. And I'm like, um, no, no, no. So now we've switched. I can't wait to talk about the show with you. I'm so, I just, I'm so sorry. And really, who's the loser here? Me, because I hadn't seen the show before. And, you know, turns out I'm a nuke junkie. I didn't know. <laughs> I love it. It's incredible. We'll talk about Chernobyl next Thursday. We'll okay. obviously talk about Last of Us on Monday. Let's if you guys about, haven't watched it, watch it for Thursday with us. Let's are you going to do that? Where you're going to you're going to start going to parties and being like, "Have you guys seen Chernobyl?" I've already started. <laughs> I've already started. I, people, first of all, people love me at parties. I think that that is that's our main takeaway. But yeah, I, well, I'm just going to be like, no, I the Mia culpa is real. That comes first. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the Mandalorian trailer. Oh yeah, I do too. I forgot that, I guess I just, because of Book of Boba Fett, it felt like Mandalorian was in our life, but it wasn't, right? Yeah. Because even though Book of Boba Fett kind of turned into Mandalorian for a little while there, but it's coming back in March on Disney Plus, and they debuted the trailer, I believe it was during the Bucks cowboys playoff game, which I had a lot of complicated feelings about as an Eagles fan, but mostly disappointment in any any possible outcome. Yeah, it's it's weird that they couldn't both lose. That was weird. It's a shame. Yeah, I was like kind of hoping Bane would show up, but it like, <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. Why couldn't Bane show up in that game? That's a great I know. point. It's like Bane blows up a Steelers game, but it's like why why not why not end Tom Brady's career definitively? <laughs> Cleveland fans earmuffs. Who hates the Steelers? I mean, I just, I, it's not worth it to me. But, but this, yeah. Okay, yeah. go on. Anyway, uh, the Mandalorian trailer, pretty sick. The big takeaway I have from this is, in my head, I was like, are they crazy enough mm-hmm. to really be like, you guys all love Grogu, but he's training. He's busy. He's somewhere else. <laughs> he's like off cam somewhere. And immediately in the trailer, they're just like, nope, not Pedro Pascal. And this no. adorable fucking Yoda are flying around the galaxy doing Mandalorian business. Do it, yeah. Going to Mandalore, lifting stuff up, yeah. putting stuff down. You know, I mean, it, the, I, I felt very warmly towards this trailer. I think the you? timing is good. Yeah. Well, ask our audience. I think people <laughs> expect they expect some some contrarian zags. Um, it would be great if you were like, "Who's this for?" <laughs> it's it's for everyone who's who, a baby who Yoda at heart. Yeah, yeah. My, my my point is, it really comes into focus what I like and what I think. I think I, I can expand it outwards. What I think many people like about the show in the wake of Andor, because both can exist. And again, I continue to think this is what makes Star Wars a strong franchise going forward. Mandalorian at its best reminds me of how Star Wars made me feel when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it taps into those latent feelings that still exist of adventure, of fun, of family, of, you know, of, of Muppets in space, you know, and, and there's some silliness and it's drawn so deeply from the same well that George Lucas was drawing his original ideas from, like basically like 50s serials, right? Like Buck Rod, uh, Flash Gordon stuff. 
that that's the heart of what started all of this. And it really taps into it in such a pure and uncomplicated way. And what was thrilling, as we don't need to belabor it, but about Andor was that it was, it, it thrilled me and excited me as an adult, you know, it, with, a, with more adult yeah, ideas. It engaged you things. intellectually and emotionally in a way that you probably and, wouldn't have been if you were 12. Yeah. And guys, get you a franchise that can do both. I think that it's pretty interesting now to see them in relation because I, I, I if, if I did start to sour, I, a little bit on Boba Fett, certainly. I don't think Mandalorian, although I don't love the digi Luke, but broadly, if I had started to sour on it, I think it was because of a fear that the best this whole galaxy could offer was nostalgia. Now, it's really high-test Peruvian flake nostalgia, but is that all it can do? That's off the table for me now. This mm-hmm. is what this show does, and there's room for both, and that really helps. That helps me, even though we're just, this is all just you know conjecture off a trailer. But I just felt really good about it. You've done a lot of tweeting this week, and uh, <laughs> I think my favorite tweets that you did were just the thread just, you did on uh, on Velma. But yeah. I also I, I couldn't I couldn't stay silent a moment longer. I uh-huh. thought it was also pretty heartrending when you were talking about how it felt to see Order sixty six dramatized. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. No, it, first of we, all, we get a glimpse of that in the trailer. I love to do tweets. There's two things that I love in this world: it's travel to Denmark, to dine at Noma, and to do tweets. And apparently, I can only do tweets now. I'm all out of Noma, or so you think. Spoiler: We'll see. But yeah, I, I thought it was great. Can I say one other thing about the trailer uh-huh. or about this upcoming season three? It's premiering in in March, right? March first. Yeah. So. I just want to say they released, in addition to the trailer, they released you know some cast lists, like a, a lot of our old pals are back. Katie Sackhoff is back as Bo-Katan, and Carl Weathers, of course, is back giving, you know, Chris, just save save the bullets. But I, I am. I, my wait. voice is tired, yeah. Amy Sedaris, Wait, till, wait till I do grief cargo watching Chernobyl. <laughs> a lot of grief involved in Shabina! that, I would say. <laughs> no, over here, my friend! The tensometers are very low here! I, I can't step on this. I want, I want the Rangan um, is totally, it's totally fine. Do you think Carl Weathers as a party apparatchik? I mean, it's already weird enough in Chernobyl that they just speak English, even though yeah. all the writing isn't Cyrillic. So I don't see why he couldn't be him. He could have been one of the guys who's been like, "This is under control. It's fine." And then everyone well, vomits on him. Nothing's perfect, you know. I mean, Craig true. Mason, I think, was like a kind of guy uh, who would love to get some notes on stuff like that. Yeah, hopefully on the pod someday. I just wanted to say that they released the list of directors for this season. And in addition to you know Favreau and Dave Filoni, who've been working on the show, Bryce Dallas Howard has been directing on the show for a few seasons now. Uh, Rick Famuyiwa has been directing on the show. But some of the new directors joining the team this season are uh, Carl Weathers himself, getting a shot behind camera. Lee Isaac Chung, who made Minari and apparently oh, yeah. making Twister. Peter Ramsey, who did Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I, I think this may be his live-action debut. And Rachel Morrison, the, the brilliant cinematographer, who's yeah. lately been directing. And I just, I mean, I don't know anything about the inner workings of this. I know people think that I'm deep, I'm podcasting from deep within the Iger counter and the Lucasfilm office. I am not. But this seems to me as like the best case scenario for this. This seems so healthy to me that Favreau has his system. They're working down in Manhattan Beach. They've got the volume. They've got, they know what they're doing. And it's a very specific type of filmmaking that increasingly is becoming the norm for this type of genre filmmaking. And they're inviting in people who are really talented, who might not have had these experiences to put them in the position to direct things like this going forward and giving them shots. You know, I just feel like this is truly how it's supposed to work. 
Like, I love that Peter Ramsey gets to do this. I love that Rachel Morrison gets to do this. Either this is a springboard to doing something bigger in this type of thing, or it's just fun. They're part of the family now. And it strikes me as just a really healthy thing to be doing. And I wish more shows that are pre-sold, basically, that are already successes, would would do this sort of thing. So we get Mandalorian in March, which I think six. So like there will still be episodes of Last of Us. So we'll have Last of Us going while Pedro Pascal is allegedly also mm. in Mandalorian. Do Pedro you think has- we'll see him this year? Pedro Pascal? In the show that he stars in? Do you think he'll be on The Mandalorian this year or no? I'm sure he'll like take his helmet off. Like there will be some, I have to take my helmet off thing. I mean, he's obviously voicing it. It's just that I told my wife that he's not inside the suit and she's never watched an episode of Mandalorian, but she was like, mm-hmm. why? First of all, she was like, why wouldn't he want to spend all his time with Baby Yoda? Because I think my wife still thinks that Baby Yoda is like an, a sentient being that mm-hmm. she can go on like talk shows and stuff like that. And it's not. Mm-hmm. And then she was just also like, is this a scandal? Like, is this out there? And I was like, it's just one of those things that everybody kind of understands, but doesn't really talk about, right? We do. We're we not We talk afraid. about it all the time. I want to talk to you about a different aspect of Pedro Pascal's influence in this world right now, okay? Mm-hmm. So I was on the internet. Here are a couple of articles that have been published in the internet recently. Yeah. Headline, I love the internet. I can't wait to hear this. The best part of The Last of Us is Pedro Pascal's jacket. That's from GQ. Here's where to go get Pedro that's, Pascal's that's badass true. jacket from The Last of Us. That's in Popular uh-huh. Mechanics. What? Obsessed with Joel's jacket on The Last of Us? Here's where to buy it. Naples Daily News. I don't know if that's... I guess that's Naples, Florida. And I mm. I dare say that there are probably bigger stories in local journalism than that for Naples Daily News to be covering it. But God bless them. That's good SEO because I found that article. So this... This is all about this wax trucker jacket that Joel, the character Pedro Pascal plays in Last of Us, is wearing, which is one of those, like, I can't tell if that's a real sensation or not. Like, are dudes really like, that jacket is sick. Where do I buy that? Googling it. But I've gotten a lot of Instagram ads served to me about about this uh, jacket. Well, that means you've been talking about it. Well, the number one thing I wanted to know is just, like, going back to our whole, like, did rock music end with Turn On The Bright Lights in the... Last of Us universe. Yeah. Is the wax trucker jacket, like let's say clothing production more or less ceases in 2003, right? Right. So the zombie apocalypse happens. But, but what if our guy Dove Charney just like locked down the factory in LA? <laughs> and so the only thing that is made consistently from the early 2000s is American apparel? Well, it does seem like that's, they're basically outfitting a lot of the people. It's yeah. like one color, you know, like block color shirts. But, I was basically at this. It's a it's a retro looking jacket, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like it was popular until about five years ago. To like, well, right? Well, but five years ago in the show was 2018. Yeah, I know, but they weren't making clothes in this universe, is what I'm saying. We don't know that. We know because again, all we've seen is Boston, which maybe my memory is a little foggy. That pretty much looked like Boston as I remember it. Like, the, I didn't see any dystopian anything so far in the show. So Maybe the I, rest of the world is fine. Obviously, they're making opioids. Obviously, they're making guns. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that there are certain things that are being made, but I don't know what, like, the textile industry is in this okay. in this economy. I reached right. out to my buddy Brandon, who works over at Stag Provisions, a store I like a lot, and I was like, what's the deal with this wax jacket? Like, would this now, be era-appropriate? Now, this is the Stag Provisions in Austin, right? Which it is, is where, yeah. where Joel uh, Joel's 
adventure began. And let me just also add, as a small parenthetical, I am also a big fan of the store Stag Provisions. We have had very different experiences there when they had a store here in Los Angeles, over in Venice, where you would tell me stories of going to the ocean and being greeted like Jason Momoa coming out of the sea <laughs> in Aquaman. Everyone would be like, well no, met, fellow. It wasn't like, like that. Everyone, they were just really just nice. Like, so they'd be like, want a Topo Chico while you try some jeans on. Yeah, but they'd also be like, they were CR heads. Like, they knew you. They were nascent. Right? I mean, I don't think CR heads was really a thing back then. They were just bros who were like, we like the watch. Here's here's a Topo Chico. Yeah, but I'd go over there and be like, hello, same people who love my best friend. Could I try this in a medium? And they'd be like, I don't know, can you? Like, it was That's just not true. <laughs> Is that true? It was just a very, I just feel like we had a different experience. You'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, hey, buddy, where are you? You'd be like, sorry, got held up hanging out with my boys at Stag Provisions on okay. Abbott Kinney. The point is, is that Brandon hit me back. I was asking uh, him about like whether or not this was era appropriate. Like, were there wax jackets okay. of this style in 2003? And he said, yes, a wax jacket like that would have been around in some iteration in 2003. Brands like Filson and even L.O. Bean have done wax jackets over the years. So you got that one, Craig. That's, that's but also, Craig, that's one, just, co- one point in your pro column. But, but we're withholding judgment on the rest. Yeah. I, look, Chris, I, I don't want to like out ourselves here, but like, I feel like a wax jacket is something that has a use other than parading down Abbott Kinney Boulevard that we don't know about because we don't know how to do things physically in the world. Yes. You know what I mean? But I want to know whether or not the wax jacket that Pedro Pascal was wearing in the show would have been in production in 2003. Do you know what I mean? Wow. And if it was not, and then were the you whole going thing to is, finally stop take a watching. stand? And in fact, I'm going to... Not ever watch the last episode of Chernobyl. Wow. I think, again, I think that's fair. Because then, then, my God, like then it's just, it's pa- what you've opened Pandora's box. And it'll be like, is this rotary phone what they had in Ukraine in the mid 80s? I'm I, just, I'm just glad no that, way of knowing. I'm glad that The Last of Us is making me think about real, real things in my life. I it, think a lot of people are like concerned about like, oh, is yeah. this, could this really happen with a pandemic? And like, do I have to worry mm-hmm. about spores? And that's not what I'm worried about. I love, by the way, speaking of the internet, I love that the internet's response to that show was just like, let's see what The Last of Us got right about the mushroom apocalypse. I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's really not what I'm interested in or why I'm watching the show. I don't care if it's real. Like, that's, that's okay to have your made-up stories. Quick, quick uh, uh, parenthetical here on Last of Us before we, you know, can pick it up again after the second episode. This is going to shock people, but since this is, you know, a very vulnerable podcast for me, I really wasn't prepared when I just idly wondered if this was like the high watermark for Joel's and pop culture. I was really schooled about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the props, perhaps the biggest one that I completely spaced on was um, uh, Joel is Tom Cruise's character in Risky Business. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just embarrassing. I mean, that is really, I, w- I was, I mean, that movie came out when what we were six, but like I- I've basically tried to live my life up to that legacy ever since. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Jim Carrey's a Joel. Rob Morrow is a Joel Joel. on Northern Exposure. Yeah, and that was a very important show for me, you know, as a Jew who is sometimes cold. So (laughs) I I, I just... And and loves to go to doctors. (laughs) No, he was a doctor, wasn't he? I know, but I'm just like, I feel like you're always like, I I, I love a doctor, you know? That is, is, first of all, that is not true. You don't like to go to the doctor? doctor? Who likes to go to the doctor? 
I people who want to have like a like a real firm grasp on their own personal health. Well, I mean, I I don't avoid going to the doctor, but like I don't seek it out. I'm not like, oh boy, it's time. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers starring Paul Meskel and Andrew Scott, Suncoast starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney, and Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. So head over to Hulu if you like movies because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Oh, hold up. Smell test. Go ahead. Sniff those pits. Now, your bits. Feet, toes, come on. Ugh. Could be fresher, right? It's all good. Old Spice Total Body Deodorant Spray is gentle enough to use all over your body, giving you 24-7 lasting freshness with daily use, from pits to toes and down below. So every smell test gets a... <sighs> Shop for Old Spice Total Body Deodorant. How do you feel about um, judges? Mm -hmm. I see that you're doing a segue. I yeah. also see you're trying to get me in trouble with the base. You know, I have seen the recall petition circulating. Uh, how do I feel about judges? Like, do I have strong opinions? So I want to see them. The, if we were good at this, I'm sorry, I have to say it. We would be doing the judge pod America's asking for. We would be pairing the premiere of the Night Court reboot with a hard-hitting full, full, full court press on Your Honor season two. I know, I know. But, but we don't not, give the people what they want. No, we do, we're doing we're doing one half of that show. I did watch three episodes of Judging Amy, um, <laughs> just just for fun. I wasn't going to mention it. Andy, I watched both episodes of the Night Court reboot, and Amazing. I did that. Pop You're in step with America. Well, I I am because ten million people watched the first episode, and ten million <laughs> so people crazy. Ten million people would be, I don't know. Would that be like the third biggest show in HBO history? I mean, like I like if that if that <laughs> happened. We, on Monday, we were like, at some point in the next 48 hours, there's going to be a press release saying that this was the most watched, Last of Us was the most watched, blah, blah, blah. That came. And I think it was like 4.7 million people have watched it so far, putting it only behind like House, House of the Dragon. Dragon and Boardwalk Empire in terms of most watched debut, blah, blah. 
That is one half of a Night Court reboot. Of who watched the premiere of Night Court, the reboot. Yeah. Yeah. So I can tell you a little bit about this. Dan Rubin is doing this Night Court reboot. I, I personally enjoyed the work of Night Court. Like, I, I enjoyed that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Harry Anderson, uh, Marky Post, very important person to me. Uh, John Larroquette, Richard Mall. Long-running NBC sitcom. Is that Marsha Warfield? These the names they just flow when you. There think There was a lot just, of I. There was a, actually quite a bit of cast turnover on mm. uh, on Night Court, but mm. ultimately it was what it says on the package. It was about a, like a basically a small ish, mm. I guess like in terms of like the crimes, like a sort of minor crimes court. It, it was the court City. that happened. At, it happened at night. I, I, let's let's <laughs> really spell it out for people. Like most court. The sun is shining. Vampires I can't cannot I was, like, attend. Struggling that hard to figure out the synopsis of Night Court. You were really focused in on the types of like of, of crime that was happening. <laughs> I, I I don't care if it happens at night. That's the court it's going to. But it wasn't like dudes from Mayor of Kingstown going into court at night. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like what happened? Oh, I threw a pit bull in this guy's car. No, it was. But but Chris, that's because it was a sitcom in the eighties. Yeah. My point is, <laughs> Night Court is a vessel. It's not one thing. It's a vessel you can pour night crimes into. Yeah. Some crimes that would never appear in night court are squeezing too much suntan lotion in someone's face, for example. Uh-huh. That would only happen in the day because of the sun. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, I think you're misunderstanding what night court was about. The, was crime, about the crimes about, adjudicated at night had nothing to do with the crimes committed when they were committed. It was just when the, when the case was heard. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Do you think that there's like... Kaya, turn the TikTok camera on. Wait a second. Are you under the impression that if yeah. I was like arrested for a misdemeanor squirting suntan lotion at somebody <laughs> Hot. during yeah, the cool. day because the sun was out that I could not be seen in night court? Absolutely not. You're putting words in my mouth. That is a preposterous scenario, counselor. Let's sidebar. Objection. How'd I do? What I'm saying is... And what... what I'm spinning. There's a lot going on here. What you suggested to me just now that I'm still reeling it is that let's say there was a normal day crime, but Uh the New York City judicial system is backed up. So you don't get your appearance, first appearance before the judge until two in the morning. Guess what court you're in? It's not day court. You know what I mean? It That's because I was like, all of these things happen at night. That's why it's usually just like, petty like fights or people exposing always people exposing themselves um, yeah they did that which, in the first episode of the new one on the way is that really like when we were kids that was a very very important concern <laughs> not our, in our lives but in think movies cancel culture is coming for, from public for the flashers <laughs> yeah i i just mean that like do you remember like i remember there was a kid in i don't remember how old we were like for halloween who wore a trench coat yeah and shorts under it and was like i'm a flasher like that's a thing that I'm doing. What was for his Halloween. relationship with his parents like? Strong, like real, real bedrock foundation of just respect, care, presence. But, but I'm just saying, I feel like flashing has gone out of vogue, and yet, come back to Night Court 2.0. Yeah, here we go. it's the first case that uh, Melissa Roush, who's who's on Big Bang Theory, but she plays Harry Stone's daughter, Abby yeah, Stone, this. who is now overseeing her father's late father's same court. And uh, she is, you know, overseeing this court and there's like a type A public city attorney played by India de Beaufort. 
She's mm-hmm. was like real like, I can't wait to get out of here and get to a private firm. The defense attorney quits like in the first case mm. that she hears. So they got to get a new defense attorney in. And who do they turn to? John Larroquette. Mm-hmm. Coming back off the bench, 75 years old. Doesn't seem a day over 60 to me. No. Nope. And he honestly does kill it. John Larroquette's a really good sitcom actor. Yeah. And, and then away we go. We're just doing Night Court again. Yeah. And, and then I would say the second episode is actually more fun because it's not like setting up, you know, the whole premise of Night Court, which you and I obviously processed and, and internalized. And can explain on a dime. Like anytime we're on the street, and I'm no done idea. telling people I they should no check out Chernobyl. This is useful content at all. This is the most popular show in America. It's incredible. No, our useful. podcast. I, oh, I've never thought that. Like I, I used to think that we provided some service and then I found out that the Night Court reboot is twice as popular as anything we consider almost too big for us to, to discuss. <laughs> so honestly, congratulations to us for this 12-year grift, 11-year whatever. Like we're, It's yeah. worked out. I do think that for our younger listeners, they may not be aware. They're definitely not watching the show, A. But B, John Larroquette was so famous for this part. He was so famous and critically adored that he, at a certain point, told the Emmys to stop considering him so that other people could win the Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Emmy. Like, he was that big of a deal. That was, it's like Brian Cranston would be the John Larroquette of his day in the sense of, like, just constantly winning awards and everybody loves. Like, he was a really, really big deal for this part. So I, th- this, was, this was a totally enjoyable television experience, but it led me to a, a pretty big question here. So NBC puts this out, Night Court's out, and it makes it gets 10 million viewers. And then the, I think the second episode retained 7 million, which is crazy. That's just insane. So, so like 7 it's million insane. people watched an hour of Night Court the other mm-hmm. night. What's the over under on viewers for just like it, it, in six months, they just put cheers back on. Well, I mean, and Ted Danson is just like, he owns the bar, but just hangs out at the bar and doesn't bartend anymore. It's been, the meeting has been taken. You know, I'm sure of it. Like the, the, the Night Court reboot was part of a suite of NBC programming that they've been proud to trumpet during the NFL playoffs, which includes taking Magnum PI back from the reboot of that back from CBS, where it had been. Uh, Quantum Leap is on its air. Frasier is coming back. It sounded very ominous. <laughs> Frasier is coming. Um, I think for me, because I, you know, I, I watched it and I was like, yep, that's Night Court. And yep, it does that very modern thing of like, in 22 minutes, let's have six scenes where characters explain exactly who they are and what they mean to each other to the camera. It's a sitcom pilot. So it is what it is. As to your point, it will live or die on what it does episodically. And once they get all that business out of the way. To me, this struck me as another example of we screwed up TV. We just just got it wrong. How so? Because people still like TV. And... This is not to say that like really incredible, groundbreaking, beloved foundational shows of the last 15 years, like like a 30 Rock or Parks and Rec, aren't important, important touchstones for a generation, but also for a network's last really glory days. It's to, it's that why did we iterate past the things that people like? Because it got it wasn't cool enough? Because it wasn't prestige enough? It's I wonder whether or not these- I would be curious to know whether or not stuff like Night Court gets, I, I assume stuff like Night Court gets pitched. You know, one, one of the shows that we're going to be talking about a lot, I, I'm sure in the coming weeks, is Poker Face, which is the Ryan Johnson mm-hmm. mystery of the week show with Natasha Leone. And that comes out, I believe, in February. But we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that a lot, I'm sure. And part of the 
the pitch on that show is that it's a throwback to the days of Columbo where you could kind of just go along and get a, a crime solved in one week by a fun detective and meet a I bunch of different think, guest stars. I think it's out next week, by the way. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can't wait to talk about it. That being said, like that strikes me as somebody walks into an office and says, everybody likes <coughs> Columbo. Let's do Columbo with Tat- Natasha Leone. You know? Uh, so yes. I wonder whether or not in the intervening 15 years that you're kind of like throwing a blanket over, have there been people who are like, I'd love to do a, a sitcom about mm-hmm. like a public defender or something like that. But like now we have reached the blockbuster IPization of like even sitcoms where to do a show about a bar, it would have to be cheers. Well, I think there's two answers in that question. One is CBS has never stopped doing this. You're right. And yes. that's why CBS has always been successful. It's like a show NBC, about neighbors and it's called the neighbors. And it's the top five sitcom for yeah. years, and we've never seen it. Um, but NBC was chasing coolness. It was chasing a you know, sort of smarter, wittier, bane, whatever advertising metric you want to call it. That's what they were chasing and seemed to disdain, at times, the medium that it was in. You know, Also, because and I think this is, there's a way to say this that's not pejorative. Like Everybody who wrote, writes for TV was excited about the chance to do something ballsier. Or, or, or bigger or braver or whatever. And everybody wanted to do cable shows, uh, even the people who were in deals at the networks, at the broadcast networks. So I, I get it, but I just couldn't help but think this just ties into the conversation we've been having about like streaming services introducing ad tiers and more like populist programming and reality shows to become cable television. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so it took this long for NBC to be like, let's just be NBC when people liked us. You know, I, I, I'm not saying this is raising the bar artistically, but boy, it, it, this number was both shocking. And then when you just sort of think about, just think about like is, watching, like, like did you did people just like to turn on the television and watch this stuff? But, yeah. But also, this isn't, and I don't mean to to bag on a cartoon that I haven't watched, um, but I you know have been have been tweeting freely about. Apparently, um, I don't think people want Velma, they want Scooby-Doo. Honestly, man, just don't even, don't even wade into the Velma discourse. I'm not, I'm not, but I'm saying- Are you, like, are you we, like macro aware of like what is going on there? I am choosing to remain ignorant, but- I, w- I, I would just say mean, it is the worst received show <laughs> that I've ever seen, honestly. Based, have you seen it? I have not. Scooby-Doo is, is not something I hold near, it was not, I didn't need a, like a reimagining of Scooby-Doo. I was, I had enough. I just feel like it just seems like a, a solution to a problem that didn't exist. Yeah. And Night Court is neither a solution nor a problem. It's just, yeah, here's Night, Night Court. Court. So. Yeah. And, and, and we've gotten to the bottom of what kind of cases get adjudicated there. So we, we handled that. Yeah, we did we, it. We, we, under, gotta, we, we understand. On the other side of the, of the content coin. Wait, probably I'm sorry, as far Chris, from Second episode of Night Court. Like, do these people who work in the Night Court like Judge Abby Stone, do they just sleep all day? No, here's the thing though. I will say that it is kind of amazing to watch Larroquette cook in the second episode. And you sort of do realize that like live in front of a studio audience sitcom acting is its own art, which I'm, yes. I know I knew, yes. but like his ability to both be in the moment of the story and not like break and ham it up, but also break and ha- ham it up for like any gesture that Dan does it's pretty. It's pretty impressive, man. Hmm. I, listen to us. We just we love the form. You well, know what when I mean? we when we finish Chernobyl, we'll wait five years and then we'll do a Night Court rewatch. Yeah, but in five years they'll do the Chernobyl reboot. 
right? Yeah, it's true. Can't wait. Is it Night Chernobyl? I'm not. I'm not even going to joke about it. They do in the first episode call in the day shift. That's true. That's please true. come to. We have blown up the workplace, but please come in early. I'm not laughing about Chernobyl. Uh, we have one more show we want to talk about. I want to talk about the Makare. Tell me a little bit about this because I think that you probably have like a better understanding of it than I do. Okay, so this, this, let, let's start with this. This is the benefit of Bella Bajaria Netflix's global strategy, mm-hmm. where a show from the globally acclaimed genius director Hirokazu Koreeda, who like won the Palme d'Or at Cannes last, most recently for Shoplifters. In yeah, Shoplifters is so good. Yeah, just makes a show for them, and it's not like what you would expect a can winning filmmaker to do. He makes a show based on a popular manga in Japan about two teenage girls who become makanai or become uh, basically geisha in training in Kyoto. And it is loving and rapturous and you can kind of sink into it, both because it is culturally transporting, but also the way that it is filmed and shot. And it's also, and I think we're probably going to get into this, has the tones and rhythms of the Japanese TV shows that I've seen and the kind of very leading score. Like, it's not breaking the format in any way. And it's really cool. It seems to be doing very well. It's getting very well received and it's doing well around the world. I it's even to talk- brought, got your attention. I was excited to watch this and maybe see if it was appropriate. Well, for I read daughter, this but- article that Ro- Roxana Haddadi had written about it on Vulture and I was kind of curious about it. So mm-hmm. I checked it out and I was going to talk to you about it as a food show. Yeah. So it's got these sumptuous, very kind of like naturalistic scenes of preparation and consumption of food that are pretty mesmerizing. And like, it's, it's almost weird because like I've been... You know, like when I'm like just like vegging out at the end of the night. I've talked about this before where like sometimes I'll watch like solo camping videos or just like, like here's me preparing a meal like very like not ASMR specifically, but like they almost wind up feeling ASMR and they're very comforting. I felt that way about this show where it's like watching someone prepare dumplings was like, I felt like my blood pressure go down, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I also this people know my feelings about food TV in, in general and how much I love it. But my version of that is like, I like to watch YouTube videos of people traveling on Jap- on ferries in the Japanese island of Hokkaido. Like <laughs> this is the ferry across the frozen bay or like this is how cold it is on this street right now. And then I'm just going to walk down the street and you hear them crunching in the snow and they're like, I think I'm going to go in here and get some warm sake. And I'm like, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> So yeah, this show is right up my alley. It is absolutely, it's just, it, it's very, very transporting and it's very engaging on a cultural level. I think it's interesting because the food aspect of it is mm-hmm. a hook, I think. Coming of age aspects of it, which are not super evident, at least in terms of a Western sensibility in the first episode, which is all I've seen so far, but that can be a hook too. And the performances are really winning and charming. I think the other cultural baggage, baggage makes it sound negative, uh, cultural trappings of the show are pretty interesting because I think broadly the Netflix audience probably knows what the word geisha is. Maybe they're familiar with the memoirs of a geisha, Mm -hmm. but like the specificity of it, the idiosyncrasies of it within modern Japanese society, 
I'm not pretending that I know these things either. I'm just merely saying like, I'm sort of a, b- broadly aware that these things exist and that sure. there might be some push and pull about them. So th- that aspect of it is kind of interesting and maybe even a little opaque uh, at the beginning of the show. Yeah, I mean, I think I just like, you know, you were talking about the Bella Bajaria content whirlpool that like brings in waters from all over. It is one of the like, true silver linings of like what we're talking about all the time on the, uh, especially when in reference to Netflix, but the, the fact that we now can watch TV so easily made all over the globe. It truly is like, no one has ever had it with the way we had it, you know? Yeah. And to watch some of the actions and activities taking place on this show specifically, but even like, you know, you can even apply it in a more good, like, you know, inhumane or grotesque way to like watching Gamora, you know, it's, it is a pretty thrilling time to be able to dabble in all these different, different cultures. I I love, I love that aspect. I I would, yeah, I would say something like the comparison to me with Gamora is apt because it's really great. No, for one reason, for one single reason, and then I'll leave it to see in the case of Gamora, Italian filmmakers and storytellers telling a story in Italy. Similarly, this is a Corrieta, making this story. This was interesting to him. I, I I don't think he he himself was a Maiko, a, a, an apprentice geisha. In fact, I know that he wasn't, but clearly he has some feelings or some, it, it triggers something in him. So there's a reason to be telling the story. Do you watch do a lot of other Japanese TV? Food-based ones. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like I, what, I, what I, kind I, of stuff I, would that be? We've talked about them a little bit before. There's a great one season show called uh, Samurai Gourmet. Oh, that's right. That I loved. And there's a show called Midnight Diner, Tokyo Stories, which is basically, there's a, you're not going to believe this, there's a Midnight Diner. So let me put it in terms you'd understand. It's like a night court, but for food. Right? But it's all the food, like, it's made at night, though. It's only at night. It's only open at night. So you can only go there at night. Okay. It is a, this this gentleman, much like Judge Harry Stone, (laughs) goes to work when the sun goes down and all sorts of characters come in to his diner literally like they'll come in and they'll and they'll be like oh could i please have this noodle dish with pork because it reminds me of something that happened to me and then he'll like go make it and then the person will have this very kind of melodramatic thing and then in 23 minutes they'll have the the pork again you know it's fine but it is this kind of like rapturous like very sort of serious there's a lot of the interesting thing for me culturally is like the role that um that politeness and duty and tradition play specifically, specifically in this area of Japanese life, but more broadly, even within the language, you know, that you have to use different phraseology and grammar depending who you're speaking to makes the watching of the shows kind of interesting because there are moments where I'm like, oh, is this conflict? Or did she really not know how to say thank you to the mother in the house of Geisha? Like, right. what, 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 act, what is the level of tension here and what are the stakes? It's kind of fun to be lost in the same way that can be kind of fun to be lost in a foreign country. And the two, the, the, the two leads are these 16-year-olds. Uh, their names are Kyo and Sumire. And the actresses who play them are really charming. And one, Sumire, is really, really good at training to be a geisha. And one, Kyo, is real bad. <laughs> really, like, has no rhythm. Doesn't seem to be focusing, but is really into the food. So in that sense, maybe it mirrors our relationship to this show, you know, where people can't see me. I am wearing the full makeup. I'm wearing an inappropriate summer gauze kimono because that yeah. was all I had handy. No, but it's, it, I, I, maybe we should have just quit when you were like, this is the gift of contemporary television. Because it is, look at this. It is. This is fun. Is. I'm enjoying yeah. it. Look at the, look at the like sort of breadth of the stuff that we talked about. Um, 60% of which we've actually seen. What if you, 
what other shows could just, you put night in front of them, okay? And like instantly, instantly, it's a different, it's a different show. I mean, for, for right off the top of my head, yeah. I, I think there's way too much daytime in Yellowstone. And I think Night Yellowstone, oh, sure. first of all, that's a hit. Second of all, it's the bar where Beth and Rip always go. And it's just the people who work at the bar. And it could just basically be Yellowstone Cheers, but you call it Night Yellowstone. And it's just what pops off at night in town. And it's already greenlit three seasons straight to series Paramount Plus with Daniel Day-Lewis coming out of retirement <laughs> to start it. Because after Morgan Freeman joining the most recent one, like what? The Lioness, yeah. What? Who else can he get? Do you know what I mean? I know. Like, like Gene Hackman is going to bike Are out of Santa sure Fe Paul at Newman age 90. Is dead? You know what I mean? Like, who, who can tell? Yeah. I, I, I would like to participate in this game, but when you said that Night Chernobyl is redundant because that is... <laughs> so I really have no... You can't top that. You yeah. can't top that. I mean, unless HBO... This would be a sign that the Zaslav regime is really out of control if they re-released Chernobyl as Night Chernobyl. Just the same show. Yeah. They just rebranded it. Yeah. Kaya, do you have any shows that you would like to see transposed to nighttime? Mm. Like what shows are just too bright? Like, is Below like Deck just... take place too much during the day? You know what? Yeah, I think you're right. Night Below Deck. Let's do they have in... lights below the decks? I've never seen the show. Well, you know when you go to like a fancy resort and they have like lights in the ocean? Yeah. And the, the ocean's like lit up? It'll be like that. I honestly I've, said, yeah, I've I have no idea this. what you're talking about. I have no, I, with the two of you, I was like, do you go, guys go to better resorts? Are they night resorts? <laughs> like, do you go to Talokan where Namor is from in Wakanda? Like, what? Do you, uh, what? You light up the ocean. That just doesn't seem economical. It's like a pool. Like a well, lit up pool. You're, well, well, Kai, I've seen lit up pools, but like, are you talking about like in the ocean, they put like lights in the actual ocean? Kaya, we've been watching Dan Fielding um, on Night Court. Don't come up against us right now. We will we will just absolutely tear this argument apart. It's like either they're in the ocean or they're like spotlighted onto the ocean. So the ocean looks like lit up. Oh, that's sick. I got to go to these resorts. Kaya is talking about water the way the 40-year-old virgin talks about women's <laughs> bodies right now. Like, have you ever seen, you're like, it could be a pool or the ocean. There's a difference. <laughs> oh my God. What's this, happening? This is a really weird episode. This is Thursday. People know Thursdays are weird. We've never said it out loud. But now I think it's canon. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks to Andy for joining me today. <laughs> thanks to Kaya for producing. Good luck with the edit. And we will be back on Monday to talk about the second episode of The Last of Us. Uh, wax Jacket Discourse will follow. The sea is dope, but you know it's doper? The Night Sea. <laughs> the Night Sea. <laughs> Brought to you by executive producer Kaya McMullen. <laughs> <laughs> You know what my answer should have been? It's right there. The Night Lotus. It's right there. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.